Today's reading comes from Ephesians 4, chapter 4, verses 17 to 32. And they can be found in your the church Bibles at page 800. So I tell you this, and insist on it, to, on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and you were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to be put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, whom you, are, who, whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. This is the word of the Lord. We're in Ephesians tonight. As you can tell from the text that George read, it's, it's really a, a Christmas-themed uh, passage, right? <laughs> Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And you give us your word uh, at interesting times. And so we're just going to trust that this passage is from you tonight. And we're going to look at it honestly and just see what you have to say to us. We love you and we need you and we need your presence here. Help us to love you. Help us to love each other. In Jesus' name, amen. So I wanted to start out with a somewhat light topic of... Doppelgangers, doppelgangers. Have you ever met your doppelganger or seen a doppelganger, someone that looks like you? I I hope that most of us understand what a doppelganger is. It's someone that looks like you, maybe the similar height, similar face, hair color. Uh, So I brought some pictures of doppelgangers. This is uh, an example of uh, a doppelganger. Uh, This man, a wedding photographer, he met his doppelganger on a flight from Ireland to Scotland. Like he came to his seat and his, his self was sitting right next to him. Uh, and so he has that, uh, that picture. If I let my beard grow out, maybe I could get it in the photo too. Uh, but I wanted to show you a picture of my doppelganger. Uh, maybe you can spot him. Uh, so am I the one on the left or the right? Uh, can you tell? 
Yeah, okay, thank you, on the right. So this was back in D.C., uh, and uh, the guy on the, the left, uh, we both went to the same church, McLean Bible Church, is a big church, and people would walk up to him and say, hey, Jonathan, and his name is Russell. <laughs> so they would uh, confuse us. Now in Ephesians, uh, Paul calls the church the body of Christ. Uh, so my question for us today is, who does our church look like? Who is our church's doppelganger? Do we look like the world, or do we look like Christ? There's really only two options for who we as the church can look like. We can look like the world, or we can look like Christ. If we look like the world, we look like non-believers. We think and act and talk like them. We get caught in the same patterns of, of sin. We don't look much different than them. We value the things they value. We think the things they think. We talk the way they talk. But if our doppelganger is Christ, well, that's completely different. Christ laid down his life for us. Christ lived a holy and good life. Christ lived and walked and thought differently, completely differently than the world. Now, when Paul wrote this letter, he wrote this letter to the Ephesians, he asked the church the same thing. Who do you look like? Do you look like the world? Or do you look like Jesus? Do you look different than the world? Now here's what's at stake. Everything. Everything's at stake. See, if we claim to be Christians, but the world is our doppelganger, if we, we don't look any different than those around us in our culture, those that don't follow Christ, then we might not be real Christians at all. We might just be doing a religious activity that doesn't really change us, doesn't mold us, doesn't make us new. But if our doppelganger is Christ Jesus himself, and that doesn't mean we're going to perfectly look like the Son of God, but if over the course of our church's life, as we go along week by week, month by month, year by year, we begin to look a little bit more like Jesus, then he's our doppelganger, then we're becoming like him. I want us to, to, to be a little self-reflective today and have an honest assessment of ourselves to say, who do we look more like? Do we look more like the world or do we look, look more like Christ? I want us to get real if we look like Christ, wonderful, praise God. But if there's ways that we look like the world as a church body, then that's just a call to repentance. That's just a call to say we're sorry and to turn again to Christ Jesus. So first, we're going to be looking at what the, church, the world looks like in verses 17 through 19 and 22. Now, some of you may remember, we've been studying through the book of Ephesians. Uh, the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians are all about the grace God has given believers. Now, for example, if you are a believer, God has forgiven you of your sins. It's Ephesians 1, verse 7. He has adopted you into his heavenly family. That's 1, verse 5. And God will treat you with grace and kindness forever. That's chapter 2. Verse 7. And on and on throughout the first three chapters, we see all the gifts of grace that God has given us. 
But in the second half, Paul says, how does this grace that God has given you change your life? How does it mold you? How does it make you different, church? Because it should. It should change us. It must change our lives. And Paul does a contrast. He, he says, okay, here's what you shouldn't look like. Here's what you're not to look like anymore, the world. And so we're going to start by looking at people that don't believe in Christ, that don't follow Jesus. And what does Paul say? He says that their thinking is ignorant. It's hard-hearted. It's selfish and it's deceived. Verses 17 and 18 say this, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from uh, the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. See, something about the way non-Christians think is wrong. Their thinking is incorrect or foolish. Their minds are darkened. Their worldview is Incorrect. To be quite frank, this is incredibly offensive. <laughs> but just because it's offensive doesn't mean it's not true. So why do people think this way? Well, Paul gives us two reasons in verse 18. The first is ignorance. They don't want to know the truth. Or they don't know the truth. They don't know the truth of the Bible. They don't know the truth of Jesus. The world doesn't know about him. Gentiles in our passage really is referring to those people outside the Christian community in Ephesus, the non-believers. But does this mean they're off the hook? Well, if you're ignorant, if you don't know about Jesus, you're not responsible, well, no, because they're also hard-hearted. To be hard-hearted means to have a willful hardening of your heart. It's not that you just don't know the truth, you don't want to know the truth. Romans chapter 1 says that all people can see God's power in creation, but they reject him anyways. And so they are without excuse. In our discipleship class on Thursday nights, we've been reading through a book called Grace Truth 2.0. And the author, Preston Sprinkle, he writes this. I'm just going to read it. Dr. Jonathan Hadith is a world-renowned social psychologist who specializes in moral theory. Put simply, he looks at why people believe the things they do. After years of looking at why good people disagree on core moral and political issues, he learned that people typically believe certain things because they first want to believe them. In other words, desire precedes belief. Then, after believing it, they find rational reasons to support their belief. But the thing that anchors the belief is not primarily rational arguments. It's the desire to believe the thing in the first place. So non-believers reject Christ, reject the Bible, because they want to believe the wrong thing. They want their truth to be the ultimate truth. Desire precedes belief. But how does Paul say non-believers think? Continuing in verse 19. 19, having lost all sensitivity... They have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge, to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. 
So their thinking is also selfish. Selfish. The world is greedy. It's greedy for more. My good is the ultimate good. My happiness matters most. I have to fulfill myself with money and experiences and happiness. Individualism and self are the highest good. Doesn't matter if I hurt others, me first. Greed, selfishness. Verse 22, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Corruption, deceit. The world repeats their truths until their truths become fact. Or there is no ultimate truth. My truth is my truth, your truth is your truth. It doesn't matter if they conflict. This is a self-deception. This is deception of the mind. So what does the world look like? Well, its thinking is ignorant. It's hard-hearted. It's selfish. It's deceived. And what does this lead to? What are... What sort of actions happen because of this? Well, impure actions. Verse 19, the second half says this. It says, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. Currently, we are living in our culture in the midst of an ongoing sexual revolution. This revolution is redefining marriage, sexuality, gender, and what God has designed for each of these things. But is Paul saying this is a new thing? (laughs) No, this has been going on forever, since the New Testament, since before then. This is nothing new. Somehow, when we don't want Christ in our lives, the most meaningful thing we can think of is self-fulfillment through romance or sexuality. That's where we go. And this is where non-Christians often go in our culture. So what's the outcome? Where does this lead? Separation from the life-giving God. Verse 18 says they are separated from the life of God. A mind that rejects Christ leads to a life rejecting Christ leads to a rejection of eternal life in Christ. A mind that rejects Jesus begins to reject him over and over again until it's too late. The end result is disaster, eternal separation from the grace of God. So our minds, our minds are incredibly important. <laughs> what we think, what we think about Jesus, what we think about the Bible, what we think about God, they really, really matter. Now, if you think Paul is being tough on non-Christians, on non-believers, on those that don't follow Christ, you are correct. (laughs) But let's not forget the point of the passage. The passage is actually written to Christians. In verse 17, Paul says, you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Paul is using them as an illustration of how we are no longer to live. He's writing to new converts at Ephesus. He's explaining how God's grace should change your life. So you shouldn't look like that. They shouldn't be your doppelganger anymore. The gospel, grace, should change you in real and tangible ways. And so we have to ask the hard question, how's our thinking? How's my thinking? Have I learned the whole truth of God's word? Or am I actually ignorant of what the scripture says? 
Have I ever hardened my heart? Instead of listening to God and obeying God, I do things my way. Have we as a church selfishly said me first or my favorite people first or my family first or even my church first? Because that mirrors how the world thinks. Have we ever lied? Self-deception. I don't mean outright lies. I mean just changing the truth just a little bit to make me look better and that person look worse. I think if we're honest as a church, I think we have done some of these things. But there's an alternative. What's the alternative? What should believers look like? Verse 20 says this. That, however, is not the way of life you learned. See, as Christians, we're called to look and to think differently. Maybe some of you are familiar with IBM. So IBM has an office located here in, uh, in Littleton, just past Kimball Farms. Uh, uh, they uh, have had a slogan for a long time uh, that is the, the slogan, Think. Right? So this is why they call uh, their, their laptop computer an IBM ThinkPad. Right? So they want to take everything into consideration. They want to they think everything through. Now, do you know what Apple did in the late 90s? Apple had to think of a slogan. They wanted to differentiate themselves from IBM. And so they came up with this slogan. Think different. <laughs> IBM, think. Apple, think different. And this slogan actually helped launch Apple into the hugely successful company that it is today because it helped them stand out as a computer company. It helped them stand out against their competitor. They weren't going to get ahead by, by matching their competitor, by just being the same. As Christians... We have to stand out. We have to look different. We have to think differently. We have to look and think differently than, than, than the world, than, than, our, than our neighbors that don't know Jesus, than, than people that are walking down the street or, or driving past us, people that don't know Christ. We have to look and think differently because if we don't, like, why would they ever come to church? <laughs> why would they ever want to be a part of a group that looks just like them? I think as Christians, our, logo, our slogan should not be think different. It should be think differently in Christ. Think differently in Christ. Because this is where our thinking should come from, from Christ Jesus himself, from his teachings. Christ's teachings should get in us, into our minds and into our hearts, and renew our attitudes and minds. Verses 21 and 20, uh, through 23 say this. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. So the Bible is answering a real simple question. What is the primary way that we change the way we think? By focusing on the teachings of Christ Jesus. 
by reading the scripture, by reading the Bible, by studying and being taught God's word and clinging to God's word and immersing ourselves in the scripture corporately as a church, but also individually in my own time with the Lord. It's as we, as we learn the word that we learn how to, to think and navigate life differently than the world thinks and navigates life. Tom Rayner, he writes, he says this. He says, too many leaders do not take time to read the Bible daily. Brad Wagoner in his book, The Shape of Faith to Come, presents a fascinating study about spiritual maturity. The essence of the study is that the most mature Christians have one common trait. They read the Bible daily. I'll read that last sentence again. The essence of the study is that the most mature Christians have one common trait. They read the Bible daily. This is why our bylaws give requirements for elders and, duty, uh, and deacons. One of their duties is to practice personal times of devotion and prayer. A love for the Bible can't just be one of our core values in theory. It has to be one of our core values in practice. And it has to start at the top with the leadership. As part of the interview process, we ask the elders and the elder candidates, do you read the Bible? Do you spend time in the Word? We asked Barry that. She said, yes, Mark does spend the time in the Word every morning. That's key. That's absolutely essential for every cornerstone or church leader, not just the elders. That should be true of the deacons. That should be true of our ministry team leads and our ministry teams. That should be true of every single person in this church. We all need to spend time in God's word every day and in prayer. If everyone at Cornerstone, the elders, the deacons, every member, every attender started reading the Bible and praying daily and maybe getting into a community group and and reading and growing there as well, I believe that we as a church would grow spiritually I believe we would be much more unified and that many of our conflicts and squabbles would just disappear because God's word would be renewing our hearts and minds and attitudes. Instead of uh, reacting, we would begin to respond. We would begin to respond with a Christ-like attitude and, and, and vision for what God is doing in the midst of our ministry. We're called to think differently in Christ. And how does, as our thinking is renewed, how does that change our actions? That leads to repentance and and transformation. As we encounter God's word, as we encounter the Bible, and the Holy Spirit convicts our hearts and our minds, we begin to recognize our own sins. Not just focus on the sins of those around us, but on our own sins and to confess our own sins before God. Repentance, what is repentance? It's actually a two-part thing. It's a turning away from sin. It's, it's a stopping. It's a negative. I'm going to stop doing that. I'm going to turn from that sin. But it's also a positive. It's turning to God. It's turning and starting to do the right thing. So not just stopping the wrong thing, and that's good enough. It's doing the right thing. Repentance is, a, is there's two sides to this coin. Now, instead of reading through verses 25 through 32, I've pulled out some of the traits of the old self 
the Apostle Paul calls us to stop, as well as the new traits, the new self that Paul calls us to begin. The old self is the person we were before Christ got a hold of our hearts and our lives. And the new self is who I'm becoming in Christ. We're not going to all be there, but this is where we want to head. So let me just put up on the screen this table that compares the old self and the new self. The old self loves falsehood, and the new self speaks truthfully. The old self is okay with sinful anger. The new self prioritizes sinless anger. The the old self is okay with stealing. The new self works and shares. The old self is okay with unwholesome talk. The new self is only okay with talk that builds others up. The old self is bitter full of rage and anger and shouting, brawling, slander and malice, but the new self is kind and compassionate and forgiving. So what is falsehood? What does that mean? That means speaking partial truths. Being okay if, you know, I adjust the facts so that I look good and that person looks bad. But the new self in Christ, because The new self is loved by Christ and recognizes that Christ has forgiven them. The new self isn't afraid to speak truth to self and to others, even when it's hard. The old self sees anger as a tool. And anger, I can just use it to get my way. The new self says, well, (laughs) true, like, righteous anger is anger that is over the things that makes God angry, like sin and unholiness and injustice. Righteous anger is rare and it is brief. The sun doesn't go down on it. How about stealing versus sharing? The old self takes advantage of others to get ahead. The new self works honestly and hard and shares with those in need. How about unwholesome talk? The old self tears others down. The old self can't wait to tell others what that person said or what that person did. The old self makes excuses. Well, I was just venting. Or I was getting advice about how to handle the situation. But at the heart, we know it's gossip. The new self works hard to speak positively about others. The new self goes above and beyond to lift others up with words. And even when those words involve correction, they are spoken in love. The old self gets bitter and angry and resentful when life doesn't go its way, but the new self is kind and compassionate and forgiving, even when others don't deserve it, especially when it's not fair and even when it doesn't make sense. So let's take a moment. Let's be honest with ourselves as a church. How are we doing? As a church body, do we look more like the old self or the new self? More like the world or more like Christ? If we're real honest with ourselves, I think we should admit. We should admit that there has been anger and unwholesome talk 
and bitterness and slander in our church in Cornerstone. This isn't all the time, but it's enough for the word to go around. People aren't happy. People aren't happy with someone, either the, the leadership or someone else in the church or with the after-school program or you name it, we've probably been angry or spoken poorly about it. The reason that I am bringing this up today is because Paul brings it up. And I'd rather be a part of a church that talks about its issues in the daylight than whispers about what's wrong in the darkness. When we shine Christ's light on our sin, it gives us an opportunity to repent and say we're sorry, we need grace. It also gives us and each other an opportunity to hold each other accountable. Unwholesome talk, I mean, all these things, anger, bitterness, they all come down to individual frustration with each other. And so if you have a complaint with someone, go to them. And if you need advice from a friend or an elder or a deacon, you should feel free to get that advice, but then they should be responsible for holding you accountable to speak directly with the person that you have a problem with. So if someone comes to you and begins to criticize or badmouth someone else in the church, listen to them, pray with them, and say, all right, you have a week or two weeks. Go and talk with that person that you're upset with, or I'll schedule the meeting between you two, and then you can work it out. We must put unwholesome talk to death. <laughs> if we're tearing each other down, we have to bring that before Christ and just repent for the sake of our church family, for the sake of the health of our church. Because we want to look like the new self. We want to look like Christ Jesus. We want him to be our doppelganger. And as we are honest with ourselves, we can rejoice because in many ways we do. I want to encourage us. This isn't a time to just condemn ourselves or to self-examine in that way. When we look, we should also see signs of truth and, and goodness, sinless anger. I see people speaking truth to each other even when it's hard. I see a lot of people working really hard and sharing what they have at Cornerstone. I see like, examples of this in like the repainting of the sanctuary and the gift cards at Market Basket for Thanksgiving. These are beautiful examples of people working and sharing and trying to build each other up. I see many acts of kindness and compassion and forgiveness. I personally have received those things. See, the good news is that the Holy Spirit is changing old self people into new self people, old self churches into new self churches. But there will be times when we dip back into the old self and we fall back into our old patterns. And we must do nothing less but crucify the old self and follow after Christ, follow after the new self. Renewing our hearts, renewing our minds, repenting and being transformed. You know what the outcome is? The outcome is righteousness, holiness, and the gospel itself. Verse 24 says, And to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness, 
And verse 32 says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. See, when we confess our sins and we turn once again to Christ Jesus, he works in us. He works in us as a church together to produce righteousness and holiness and grace. And boy, we need grace. (laughs) That's why I'm preaching this sermon series, because we need grace. We need to be forgiven. We need to forgive each other. And we need grace to transform our lives. And we experience that transformation as we look at Jesus. So we look at the cross. We say, wow, look Look what God has done for us in the cross through Christ Jesus. Jesus forgave us, right? We don't deserve to be forgiven. We're sinful and broken. On the cross, Jesus paid the penalty for our sins so that we can live, not just like live eternally with him, also live eternally with each other. He died so that we don't have to die in our sins, but through repentance and faith can receive eternal life. Christ took our old self on the cross. Like that's, that's what he had to do with it. Our old self is so serious, Christ had to put it to death on the cross. He had to die and rise again to give us new selves. And now, every day, we're just learning. We're learning what that means to live and think and talk like the new self. Live in righteousness and holiness to show compassion and kindness to those around us, to our church family. Every day we're living, we're we're learning to think differently in Christ. And that's my closing big idea, think differently in Christ. Would this be our prayer tonight? Would this be a, a moment of change in our church? And if the old self is rearing its ugly head, we're saying, no, we're going to follow Jesus. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna honestly walk after him. We're going to deal with our sins, and we're just going to receive grace. Think differently in Christ. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that Jesus died to kill the old self and to give life to the new self. God, would you give us tender hearts for you and for each other as we confess our sins and walk forward renewed and transformed. We can do this through your Holy Spirit. Please bless our offering the way that we're trying to give and we're trying to share. May this be a picture of what you have given us, forgiveness and grace. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.